Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills, the technical skills, soft skills, leadership skills, and personal understanding that marketers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. We're here to ensure that marketers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. podcast is an episode on leadership. It's brave leadership. And shortly, we will welcome today's guest, the wonderful David McQueen, onto the podcast. But before we do, let me talk to you about why I believe the way we choose to lead to be so important. As marketers and humans, we find ourselves having to lead well before we arrive in formal leadership positions, whether that be projects, campaigns, cross-functional teams, before then taking those formal leadership roles where we lead teams, functions and businesses. But the challenge I see so many marketers have with their leadership responsibility when they arrive at this moment in their career is a question around what type of leader do I want to be? Do I need to be? How will I effectively lead my team, but also in a way that feels authentic to me? Often drawing on the experiences that you have personally experienced having been led whether that was positive, negative, or somewhere in between as your example of what this could look like. My aim through these leadership podcast episodes is to give you inspiration as to how to lead in today's challenging yet rewarding profession, but also different models and thought processes that you may want to adopt as you develop and define your own leadership style. So today's guest is no other than David McQueen. David is passionate about developing leaders. A family man first, he is the husband of one, father of two and friend of many, including my good self. He has founded and co-founded a number of businesses, including Q Squared, Black Founders Hub and Evermore, and sits as a non-exec on the advisory board of many companies offering support on leadership and financial competence. In his work as an executive coach, facilitator, board advisor and international speaker, he has worked with corporates and non-profit organizations worldwide to develop their senior leaders and managers. His clients include Facebook, Google, Shopify, Lloyd's, HSBC, Mercedes-Benz, Sky, BMW, Uber, Fidelity Investments, EY Foundation, and Bernardo's. David is also an angel investor, mentor, including to my good self, host of the Brave Leadership Podcast, and three times TEDx speaker, and is currently writing his first book on leadership. And he wants you to all know that he never works on a Saturday. David, welcome to the Whole Marketer Podcast. Oh, such an absolute pleasure to be here at last. At, at last, last at, at last. So as you know, we always start with a big juicy question. And yes. today's big juicy question is, what is brave leadership to you? Ooh, so brave leadership to me is to be in a space where not only you trust your judgment and your decision making, but the people who you lead also do the same. So two key words that you mentioned there are trust and judgment. Tell me why they're so important. The big thing around brave leadership and courageous leadership for me is sometimes being able to go out there and make decisions that are both good, but sometimes the ones that are uncomfortable as well. So as a leader, you may have to hire. You may also have to fire or restructure or or do some stuff that may not always be as straightforward as possible and when those challenges come people need to trust you that you're doing the right thing even though it may not necessarily be favorable for them but they also need to be totally aware of your judgment so they know that the decision making process that you've gone through the way that you've looked at it and analyzed it that you've actually given time and effort and energy to it 
and you're not just doing it out of emotion or you're not just doing it to curry favor with other people you're doing it because it's the best thing for the organization so that trust and judgment piece for me are quite big because not enough people in my experience and the conversations that i have engender enough trust and at the same time in that trust piece is people being able to say right i trust you so the judgment that you made even though i don't agree with it i think it's worthwhile And what I'm hearing is that in order to get that trust, actually sharing how you made that judgment is almost just as important as the decision you made itself. Oh, 100%. 100%. And, you know, as leaders, there is something around being able to set an example or set a precedent, not for people to mimic you, but to get an understanding of how you got to that space in the first place. Like if I know if I'm going to take you from here to Edinburgh and I plan the journey, I may not necessarily tell you that, right, I put unleaded in the car or I put this kind of, you know, screen wash in there so we make sure that the stuff is, you know, all put together. But what I will tell you is, look, I'm using Waze or I'm using this map and there may be a point where I need to kind of like ask you just to make sure that I'm on course, but this is where we're going. And for me asking you as part of my team to make sure we're on course or where we're going It shows that I'm not only am I expecting you to trust me, but I trust you as well. And it is a reciprocal thing. Love that. I suppose what I thought you were going to say then is that you were going to say why you chose on that path to get to Edinburgh is the rationale. But I think what you're actually saying is that you share a bit of that, but also Mm -hmm. allowing them the opportunity to contribute to it also to get that buy in. 100%. Because I'm also conscious as well that when you are making a decision as a leader, sometimes you're exposed to information and knowledge that other individuals aren't. And sometimes you aren't able to express that. Mm. So sometimes it's about timing and it's about context. But if you give the sense as to why we're going there in the first place, I think that makes a hell of a lot of sense. That sense of, right, I'm, I'm going there. You may not necessarily know everything, but I'm trusting you with the bit that I give you that will help us to get to that space. So tell me about those brave leaders. What skills and behaviours do they possess in order to get that trust and have that clarity in judgment? And belief, I guess, in their judgment as well. So I think it depends because, again, a lot of it is around context. Yeah, you can be brave whether you're hiring, as I said, you're hiring, you're firing, you're doing great marketing content. You could be doing customer service. You could be doing some decisions around finance. And for me, as I said, the bravery is being able to make, in your mind, sense of those decisions, make good sense of what decisions you need to be able to make, but also be able to recognize that whatever decision you make, you live with that. You can push your chest out and say, look, I made this decision and I'm running with it and I'm going to take the responsibility for it, whether it works really well or even if it goes up and it goes the other way. Mm-hmm. A big part of this whole thing around bravery is the inclusiveness of the decision you're making. How have you catered for all the stakeholders that are in that space when you're making that decision that engenders the trust and that engenders that good judgment? And in each and every single situation when I think about bravery as a whole, not just singular acts, but as a whole, it's being able to make those hard decisions, make those hard choices, really think about what you're doing. And then, as I said before, being trustworthy, being open enough. And it doesn't mean that you need to be extrovert or introvert. It's not about those sides of it. It's just about recognizing that you've got a responsibility to take people on a journey. You've got a responsibility to be able to empower other people who want to be leaders as well. So what are you going to do around that that's healthy? What are you going to do around that that's replicable, not necessarily in detail, but other people can go, oh, that's the way I would process stuff. That's the way I would treat my staff. That's the way I would treat my customers or other stakeholders. And for me, those are the things that are really, really important when I look at people and I consider that as being brave or being courageous in the way that they lead. And as you're describing that, what comes to the forefront for me is 
the need to have psychological safety. So if you're making those decisions and you know that you're going to have to live with that decision, that you feel psychologically safe to bring that to the business, Mm -hmm. knowing that should it not go the way that you intended, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's never a mistake, only a learning. Yes. No, 100%. I'll throw in an example, if I can, of a client that I was working with recently and the whole issue of working from home came up in conversation. And whilst I understand how sensitive this subject is, I understood the rationale that they had for wanting their staff to be in the office. It was around that creativity. It was around that innovation. It was around that connectedness that they need. That just how they thrive really well. Yes, they could be productive, but there was something when they had the conversation with individuals that they required them to be in the office. It didn't have to be in every day. And there was consideration made around those who had caring and other needs that needed to be dealt with. But a choice was made by this leader that he wanted his team to be able to become in. And we sat down and we really focused on the narrative around what that looks like and recognize that although that it may not necessarily work best for some people, for the greater good of the we, this is the kind of messaging that had to happen. He was terrified. He was absolutely terrified of being able to send that out. And I said, that's okay. Behind the scenes, we always are going to be terrified that we're doing the right thing saying the right thing, not offending people, et cetera, et cetera. But what I found was really powerful was they got to that point when they realized, I've just got to do this. I know what my rationale is. I've had these conversations before I came to the decision. I can explain to people what the journey is. I can also be considerate of those who may not be as flexible as others, but this is the kind of direction that we're going in. And for me, unlike a lot of the media headlines we see around working from home, where people say it's immoral not to do it, or we lack creativity, all that kind of trash that comes out from people. You look at that and you go, was this about your ego? Or was this around trying to get the best possible out of the team and the individuals that you're actually working with that brought them on side? As I'm listening to that example, what came through for me is that we sometimes forget that leaders are a human too. You know, they're having to make a decision to your point for the greater good of the business, but yet still have that core human need to be liked and loved. And that core human need doesn't disappear just because you're a leader. You know, the word you use terrified of the backlash or maybe the perception of they as a leader really coming into play when they have to have those tough conversations or those brave conversations as a lot of the work that you do includes. Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, it's not that you have to be in a state of terror 24-7. I don't wish that on anybody. I'm not out here advocating anybody have really high cortisol or adrenaline levels that kind of like push them to do the job, but rather that when you are put into a position of leadership, wherever that appears in the organization, especially the more senior you get in terms of the role and the more responsibility you have, the thing I think is really important to have learned quite early on is how do I manage conflict? How do I manage risk? How do I become empathetic to individuals at the same time as making a strategic commercial decision? And very often, I think people don't understand how to blend those how to blend both being empathetic, but also having a commercial understanding as well, because they just think, right, this is just about the bottom line. And we are humans. We have to be able to consider emotions. No, we're not social workers, unless you are working in a social working organization. But we have to be considerate of the fact that we can't run away from conflict. And too many people see conflict as a thing that you should avoid. Whereas I'm going, there's so much innovation and nurture and clarity that you can get out of conflict, because you can ask different questions. You can understand where people are coming from. You can park your own assumptions and park your ego in the in the meantime as well. And for me, the bravery or the courage in that whole journey of leadership is getting a lot more comfortable with those uncomfortable moments. Not saying that they have to be the norm, but when you've got a way of working or when you have boundaries around how it is that you present yourself in terms of working, people are clearer and it just makes it a lot easier for you to not 
be always getting into the weeds where you don't know what that person thinks or they don't know what you think. You're getting a lot more conscious about what that looks like. So for example, if I can just throw in another example here, I always will always do this, you know, coaching a client who was really nervous about an underperforming member of staff. And I said, okay, what's your concern? Oh, there've been a lot of personal circumstances that they've gone through. And I'm like, okay, all right. Have you asked questions? Well, I, I'm not sure I can. I said, yes, you can. You build that relationship. You build that rapport. And I gave them a list of questions that they could start to ask that person. But also giving the caveat for the individual to say, look, I'm asking these questions because I want you to perform really well. I realize there is a challenge around the way that you're actually performing right about now. And I want to make sure that we get the best outcome for both yourself and myself in doing that. And again, they were like really nervous about it. I said, just go and ask it. And all the questions were asked, fine. The person asked them, fine. The issue was, is that we have all these thoughts or stories going on in our head about how people may react, mm. how they may see something. But I go, just ask the question. Because if it is bad, we found out. If it is good, we found out again. You still ask the question, you still exactly know where you are. And then being able to go and ask that member of staff around it, it, it flipped the whole emphasis, because then they took responsibility to go, look, do you know what I realized? I haven't been performing to the best of my ability because of X, Y, and Z. Can you help me to get to X? And the person was like, they've never asked me for help before. And I'm like, well, it's just because you asked a different question. Mm. So for me, that's the framing. It really is about the framing, about being courageous to get out of your head and get out of the assumptions you have in your head and be able to challenge those thoughts by asking better questions and having a conversation with the individuals you work with. Assumptions, I mean... So powerful, aren't they? And yeah. and the root and cause of many conflict and many yes. complicated situations. Yes, yes, yes. And as you've mentioned, you know, a lot of the work that you do is encouraging leaders to ask the right questions so that yes. they can have those brave conversations, facilitating difficult board meetings or changes within organization. What are the most common topics or areas of conflict that you find when you're working in those environments? Not being able to say no. That's one of the biggest people being afraid to say no. And so when I say that as conflict, that's an internal conflict that doesn't even involve other people realistically, but just not being able to say no. People are afraid of letting people down because they think if they say no, people will get upset and what have you. And I'm like, well, what evidence do you have on that? You can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. This is how much I can do. I, I can't do this. And here's why I can't do this because these are the things that I've prioritized and I need to get that out of the way. But people are very afraid of saying no. The other thing I find that is a point of conflict is people who are afraid of not being liked by other people. And they place so much emphasis on wanting everybody to like them. Mm. For 10 people in a room, they want 10 people to like them. I'm like, it's never going to happen. The truth is that somebody's not going to like you. It's one of the things I learned really early on. I can rock into a room and I can smile and make people smile and laugh, but there's going to be somebody in the room who doesn't like my style. There's going to be somebody in the room who doesn't like my approach. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. We are different people. I'm okay with that. Do they pay my bills? Are they my friend? Do they make a massive difference in my life? No. So why am I going to throw the emphasis on wondering whether or not they like me or not? Mm. And so that whole concept of likelihood and likeness, I, you know, I get people to understand you don't need to have that. And the other point around conflict is the fear of people not listening. So a lot of people will not speak their mind or say things because they're afraid that people don't listen. And part of the framing that I give around navigating that is go, okay, how before you start that conversation, are you able to frame to somebody, when I say something, I need this listen. This is what listening looks like for me. It means you not talking over me before I finish my point. It means you repeating back to me something if you don't have clarity rather than making assumptions. It means you not raising your voice just because you disagree with me. So let's set those terms very clearly before we actually even have our conversation. Let's assume that we're both going to go into this. We won't even assume. 
but let's make it clear before we go into the conversation that we're looking out for the best interest of each other. And then once we do that, let's start the conversation going. And it's amazing how powerful it is as a tool if you set the tone long before the conversation starts, rather than going, oh, they're not going to listen to me. They never do. Let's set the tone as to what that actually looks like if you need them to listen. So those tend to be ones that come up. Some people, it seems a bit odd, especially when we're talking about conflict, but those tend to be the ones that come up quite a bit. That is really powerful. Really powerful. It goes back to the earlier point about needing psychological safety. And actually, you're setting a boundary or an explanation about what you need in order to be heard, but also what you need in order to feel safe so that you can share and have those brave conversations, which will allow you to learn so much more and allow you to bring up all of the things that are bothering you so that you can move through that conflict into a better place. That's so powerful, David. Thank you for sharing that. That's fine. So, with your brave leadership, you have a brave model. Yes. Can you take us through what each of those components mean? Yeah, sure, sure. So brave is a verb. It is also an adjective. The one that I know really stands out to a lot of people is the acronym for brave. So there are five pillars that I have. Being bold, being resilient, being agile, being visionary, and being ethical. And I'll break those down. So bold leadership, again, come back to that point we were talking earlier around dealing with conflict and having trust and making decisions. Boldness for me around leadership is being confident in who you are, first and foremost, um, and then being confident in the people who you lead. So in order to be brave, it's not just about you, but it is around the system and the people who you work with as well. Mm. And that boldness is being able to go, right, this is working and this is not working. Let's truly examine this stuff for the betterment of us as a whole. The reason why I emphasize starting with you first is when you understand what your boundaries and what your limits are and where you draw the line, it makes it easy to see how you sit within the system as a whole. And then once you're comfortable with that, it's identifying members of your team or the group or whoever you're working with, and then being able to go, well, this is the direction we're going to go with. And in this direction that we're going with, I'm not afraid of objections. I'm not afraid of different challenges, but that's the journey we're going on. But I'm going to make us put a stake in the ground. That this is where I stand. This is where I'm coming from. And this is where I want us to go. So that's bold. The second one is around resilience. Now, too often for me, resilience becomes individualized. It just becomes around one person. But for me, I think resilience is a team sport. I believe it's something that we do collectively. If you're working in a team or in an organization, it's not just about you, which is one of the reasons I get really frustrated with like people who get singled out for leadership in an organization. Like, you know, everybody will put your, your Elon Musk or your Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey or your Richard Branson or... Again, the, the issue here is, although those individuals can be inspiring, the fact is, is that leadership for me probably acts best one level below them mm. and even below that, because that's where line managers, that's where individuals on the forefront of customer service and dealing with marketing campaigns, they're dealing on the front line. And for me, that's where a lot of really good leadership shows up. And it's in those spaces that they need to show resilience because look, Richard Branson, for example, could be the leader of Virgin, but he's not the one who will be having to reassign people or restructure the company when the marketing part of the organization realizes that they need to get rid of headcount. It's not him having to do that. And so when individuals are then being told, right, you know, I have to reorg or fire this person or hire other individuals, the resilience or the strength that's needed in there will be in that specific team. And so that's why for me, the resilience I see is a team combination. It's about individuals coming to work together and being able to provide that strength and bounce back ability as a unit rather than as just one person that you're depending on that to do that. Yes, somebody can inspire you. By all means, I get that. But for me, resilience should be a collective thing. Agile, as it says, is just about flexibility. And the world is changing. Two years ago, in the main, we're working from home because of COVID. And then, you know, 
technology changed again everybody's talking about ai even though ai has been around for donkey's years but everybody's gotten excited about generative ai and then people are thinking there's threats around their jobs and all this kind of stuff and as a leader how agile are we to be able to navigate those spaces to reinforce the trust that we've had with individuals but also to be able to say right although the future's uncertain what we're going to do collectively is we're going to move towards it as a group knowing that we'll tackle it when it comes to it visionary again it's about being able to not just get mired in what we have here, but what does this look like? How are we really going to serve our people? What does this look like six months down the line, a year down the line, three years down the line? What is it that we're trying to change? And what is it that we're going to look at that people are doing at the moment where it's just ordinary, but we can look at it and go, well, we're going to be extraordinary. Or someone can look at something and they go, okay, but let's look at this. Let's be reasonable. But as a team, we're going to go, no, let's be unreasonable. What does that look like? Our cars, our computers, our phones. If you think about the phones that we were using, 25 years ago, in comparison to what we have got now, somebody had to be visionary in order to be able to bring that to the fore. And for me, a brave leader is someone who's not afraid to be visionary around that. And that could be around products. It could be around the way that we work with people. It could be around the way that we think of our customers or the kind of market share that we're looking for, whichever way or whichever space that we're looking at. And again, with that whole underlying theme of being inclusive in the way that we look at it, being visionary is really important, being able to see it forward. And then the last thing for me is around ethical. Now, sometimes people get moral and ethical uh, confused. For me, moral is an individual thing and ethical is a group thing. So for example, you and I may sit down here and we may have two separate views around, say, abortion. You may say, well, I'm really pro-life, Dave. I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just giving you as an example. But you may be pro-life and you'll go, look, I believe that the child needs to be able to full term. And I may go, well, I'm pro-choice where I say, well, look, you know, an individual should be able to have that choice. A woman should not be told what she has to do with her body. And those are moral standpoints that we take as an individual. However, we can be working in an organization where our ethical stances is we're looking after the well-being of the woman regardless of whatever choice she makes. And the moral moves it away from the individual judgment that we're going to make on this. We could be shaped by culture, religion, whatever upbringing we have. And whereas the ethical one is going, are we making the right decision that will help for the well-being of the individual? Are we making a decision that is just, that doesn't come just down to our individual interpretation of it, but how does it look as an impact as a whole? And ethical for me is around having organizations that think about the way that they dispose waste. It is around the way that we think about the kind of environments that foster gender parity. It could be around how do we consider things around climate. It could be around the ways that we are considerate in the way that we manage the customers that we actually work with. And ethical for me, and the reason why I put it here in Brave, is being able to go, we're not going to do something just because it's a quick shortcut now. We're not going to go and do something that in three or four or five years time, that if we were investigated and somebody came back and saw us, we'd be stumped. And there are so many organizations who have leaders who years later, you found that they've been doing fraud and they've been cutting corners and they've been cutting costs just because it makes quick money. And then years later, they're going to have to pay these incredibly extreme insurance premiums, or they're going to have to go to court because somebody's actually called them out on it. And the organization has to pay for it, not only emotionally, but financially and in terms of branding as well, they're getting a really bad knockback because somebody in that organization didn't ask the question, hmm, is that really ethical? So those are the five that make up Brave. And I use those as a guideline to get my clients that I work with to have an understanding of how they can be courageous and how they can be brave, not only as individual leaders, but to be able to reflect that as leadership of the organization as a whole. Love. Love, love, love and love how you went through that so seamlessly. I know it's part of who you are and what you truly believe, David. So thank you for sharing that.
So people are listening going, yes, I want to be all of those things. I want to be bold. I want to be resilient. I want to be ethical. I want to be a visionary. Where do they start? Small steps. It really is small steps. A big part of that is understanding why we do what we do. So what does bravery or what does courageous mean look like in the actual organization that you're working with around the way that we treat our staff, around the way that we treat our customers or whatever it is, what does that bravery actually look like? And then in being able to go, okay, and what are the things that I can deal with now? And what are the things that may be too big for me to deal with right now, but I'll need to find some support around it. And it's then being able to prioritize the ones that can be dealt with and can be focused on in the here and now, and then being able to build on it bit by bit. So it might just be the recruitment practices. It might just be the way that you think about internal promotions being done. It might just be a way of being able to get focus groups that can reach a wider remit when we're doing marketing. Because you and I have seen some really bad marketing campaigns in the last few years, which have totally missed the spot, right? Oh my God, they've totally missed the spot. And you looked at that and you go, have been a little bit braver and brought somebody else on board to go "Mm, have you really thought about x or should we be doing this a different way and it's those little steps bit by bit that i think make a difference rather than trying to rush in and trying to be brave or it's a muscle right Brave's like a muscle it's a little bit like going to the gym got to go and tear that muscle to build it up but you got to keep it doing it consistently in order to be able to build it up my good friend andy says think of it as a game of inches where we're compounding rather than going in and trying to do one big thing and trying to make this massive difference How is it that we can build and sustainably build this rather than just coming in with, you know, one moment of going, okay, I'm brave now. You've got the (laughs) official shirt and everybody, whoa, what the hell does that mean? Right. Because we're going to do X, Y, and Z. It's more less around, okay, how do we build this so it becomes more of our DNA and it's sustainable? I demonstrate it. My team demonstrates it. My organization demonstrates it. And we learn. And the things we do well, we build on. And the things that we don't do so well, we iterate and change and build on that as well. Couldn't agree more. Bit by bit, step by step, compound effect. Yes, the compound effect, Mr. Darren Hardy. And speaking of names, it was Sarah Blakely. That's who it is, Sarah Blakely. I should know this. I'm actually going to put it on my desktop just in case I have to mention that again, because I really like what she's done, by the way, and I wanted to use her. So whoop, whoop for Sarah Blakely, everyone. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. So you know what's coming. Career highs and lows, please, David. Career lows. So I lost the business at the turn of the 21st century, so 2001. And that knocked the hell out of me. You know, I've been made redundant twice. And I'm like, it is what it is. The first time I got made redundant, I was like, it was a bit of a shock. I was like, what do you mean I don't have a job anymore? You talk about cost cutting, are you mad? (laughs) Are you mad, bro? You need to give me a job. And I sat down, I was like, okay. And I just went and applied and I went to an agency and I got a job, I got a little temp job and then I got taken into that organization straight after. Oh, and the other redundancy I had, I was working for an organization and they made me redundant four weeks after they, a few of them had been to my wedding. And I was like, you came to my wedding knowing you were going to make me redundant? Okay. I said, okay, all right. And there were some things I had done wrong when I was as an accountant, but no one had addressed it. No one had addressed it to me and brought it to my attention. And I was like, okay, so you're going to get rid of me, even though you haven't brought that and you're not going to show me how to do it better. And I thought, okay, fine, I'm gone, I'm out. But then what it made me learn afterwards was I learned how to ask a lot of questions. So way before I had any performance review in my organizations, I would ask lots of questions like, what am I doing? Good. And how can I improve? What are the areas that I need to build on? Obviously, when I was a accountant, everybody wanted to be qualified and I had no intention, but I just wanted to know how I could do that better. But in 2001, as I said, I was running my business. We had the 9-11 and just, I lost everything. So I lost my business and all that came with it. I had to sell my house. 
And around that same period of time, my wife miscarried and we lost our second child. And that took the wind out of me. It really, really, really did. But it reminded me that at the time, one of the things that was really good is, and stopped me from dipping, is I had a lot of people around me who were really supportive, emotionally, financially, spiritually, all that kind of stuff, who were really supportive and that helped me carry it through. And it made me realize that there are some times where people go through that kind of thing and they don't. So what do I do to encourage people to make sure that they have a squad around them? Mm. And then career highs, yeah, I loads. I always wanted to be a TV presenter. I ended up presenting a, a Channel 4 presentation, a show helping young people called Vocation, 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 back in 2008. So that was six years after my company went you to You didn't the- know that. Oh, you didn't know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I was, well, you see, these little things I have to hold back from you, I mean. <laughs> but yeah, I went for an audition. I was the oldest person in the room and I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is crazy. But I dazzled the production team. Channel 4 wanted the other person, but the production team said, no, Dave is going to be the one we want. And, and I got the gig. Off the back of that, I ended up going to TED because I was having a conversation with somebody else. I ended up going to TED Global in Tanzania. Off the back of that, I ended up doing some work with Virgin Media for a few years, doing some of their, their content. And that was really good. And some people will have access to a bit more opportunities than other people. But for me, the highs have always been, and I always say this about my career highs, is that I just get to work with amazing people. Mm-hmm. And I get to meet amazing people like yourself. I just get to do that. And I know sometimes people don't believe me when I say it's a real privilege to get to meet them and work with them, but it is. It's your podcast, I'm going to say anyway. I really like the fact that you were really persistent in reaching out to me for us to work together. And I said a big disclaimer, we have worked together. It's a co-mentoring, we peer mentor each other. But there's so much stuff that you have taught me, specifically around how I get to do my branding, how I get to do my positioning, my marketing, my copy, my whole stuff. But every time you have a conversation, I'm like, okay, I... I've got this stuff on lock. And then you throw out a couple more gems. I'm like, okay, this woman just giving me more gems, just more <laughs> gems. I didn't even really think about this. I'm like, oh my God, really? And you sit down and you look me in the face like, okay, I don't care how old you are or how much experience you've got, Dave. Do you know this? And I'm like, okay, let me humble myself. Let me just drink my coffee and eat my croissant and get told. But I love that because it's not about... <laughs> well, I'm about thinking of the in- moment where that happened recently. <laughs> Yes, exactly, right? Humbling myself in this room. All of a sudden, I start doodling on the piece of paper for no, no reason. I left that breakfast that we had, and I was thinking, I think I pushed David a bit too hard that morning. Oh, <laughs> that morning. oh no, I love it. Because that's what I do. Because you see, you see me do that as well, right? Yeah, you, you do see that to me, me 100%. That. 100, right? I'm like, okay, like this is what you need to do. So I'm getting to drink my own medicine, and I'm like, okay, that's absolutely fine. And I, and I love that. That's the beauty of why I love coaching and mentoring, because... We get to push each other to go, to be unreasonable, all right? We can have this thing where we go, if I'm reasonable, this is what I'm going to do. This is the price I'm going to set. This is who I'm going to work with. And then all of a sudden I go, well, why can't we do more? Why can't we be unreasonable? Why can't we stretch it? And then all of a sudden we get into that space and we go, oh my God, so what I was doing before, I could have done better here. And so for me, that's beautiful. And so my highs, if I really do my highs, it's not one individual moment, even though I've explained some, the, the ones that I had, but rather it's just being able to get up and do the work that I've been doing for the last 15 or so years where I get to choose who I work with. I get to choose what that kind of day looks like. That stuff always inspires me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I love working with you. I also know that that is one of the beauties of the role that I do now is that I do get to meet beautiful, wonderful human beings with brilliant minds that I wouldn't have got to meet if I'd stayed in that kind of client side role and be more purposeful and choiceful around who I bring into my world as well. And 
those that do grow you, that do push you, that do inspire you, that want you to do better and push you to think about things that you hadn't even thought about for yourself. So I couldn't agree more on all of that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So it feels unfair to ask you the final question. David, thank you so much for your time so far on today's podcast. But we always finish with the following question. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? It's a bit of a combo advice. The bit of advice I would definitely say is just really be bold in your decision making. And what I mean by that is whether you are a marketing intern, a CMO, advisor, what have you, you're essentially putting out a message to the world for whatever organization you're working with to say, I totally believe in this product or I totally believe in this service. And so I want you to be able to buy into that narrative of why I believe this. But there is something around truly understanding what that looks like as well. So there are some people who will just sell the product. There are some people who will just go in and just do the, create the campaigns, create the copy, do all the all the kind of stuff that comes in your whole marketing mix. And they haven't really thought the whole process through. And again, I mentioned earlier about some of the campaigns which we've seen, whether it be in print copy or advertising, that have come as a result of some marketing teams come together, which have been totally off the mark. And I say to individuals, don't be afraid to get people to challenge your thinking or challenge your decision making, but make sure when they do that, you are concrete enough to go, right, I've done it based on these metrics. I've done it based on these assumptions. I've done it based on this data. And so for me, it's really, really being grounded in your decision making. Why are you making that decision? Why have you gone down this route? And being really confident enough to be able to explain to people why you did it. If it's wrong, you can change it. If it's right, you are absolutely convinced as to why you did it in the first place. Be bold. Love that. And David, thank you again for your time. 100%. You know I was going to do this anyway. You know I'll do this for you. It's a real... (laughs) It's a real honor. And I'm going to big you up at the end of your own podcast as well. I think what you do is amazing. This whole concept of the whole marketer is amazing. I feel privileged to be one of the guests that are are doing this. It's important that people do understand to be complete as a marketer. What does it look like to be able to, not perfect, because I think that's important, not perfect, Mm. but completion in terms of that journey where you're serving not only others, but you're serving yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup, right? You've got to be able to make sure that you are doing it from a really good place so that you can serve other people. So I just want to big you up, not only in terms of what you do with this podcast, but your offerings and your speaking and your coaching and all your advice. So, I, you know, it's a pleasure to be on the journey with you. And, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be able to share some of my insight to your audience as well. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, David. That's so very kind. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com. 